Good morning, church. The reading of the word this morning is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 12 and 13. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now we're doing verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I got the first service done. I think I was rightfully a little nervous. Um, feel more loose this service, so hopefully you got the version 2.0. We'll see what happens. Um, thank you, Alan. Uh, it's been a joy to be a part of K-Spring Baptist Church, to be part of the Bonhoeffer House, to learn and to watch and to grow alongside um, gospel-minded people. That's been our greatest joy, I think, is the friendships we've made. Um, the fact that the gospel seems to be the focus of their lives for their kids, and we just enjoy being a part of that. And it's just been good for us to be here. So I get the service after Easter, so there's that. There's that. So if you came, if this is your, you know, last week was your first week and you come the second week, I, I get you, right? Um, if it's not good, just come next week. Pete, Pete will be back, all right? So we'll, we'll go with that. Um, now, we are grateful to be here, my wife. My mom's here today, too. Uh, she came all the way from North Carolina, so Winston-Salem. Um, she comes to uh, all these. Anytime I have a chance to preach, she's always here, so I appreciate that. Uh, then we have uh, Judah's back there, Asher's in the nursery, and then um, we just had little Hadassah. She is four weeks old, and so she's our newest addition, and she has stayed up with me as I study, trying to distract me and cry a lot. Uh, through the sermon preparation, so it's been good. We, we really enjoyed her. One of the cool things about this passage, actually, is that uh, Hadassah's name is, was Esther. It's Esther's Jewish name before her name changed to Esther um, in the book of Esther, and uh, Hadassah means myrtle. Uh, it's really Hadass, 
which means myrtle, means tree. And uh, if you look, if you read the passage, uh, one of the few times myrtle is actually used in the Bible is Isaiah 55. So there's a sign there, something going on. This was divine that I should preach from this. And we also have Hadassah with us. But we call her Hattie, so you can just call her Hattie. You cannot call her myrtle, okay? That is, that is a foul. You're not allowed to do that. Um, yes, yeah, so we've had so many people bring us meals. In fact, Jocelyn, the, uh, Jocelyn just read the scripture. She brought us a meal Friday night. So I really appreciate Jocelyn and so many of you others who have done that for us as we've learned uh, life with three kids now. So they say that's when you get outnumbered as parents. So we're, I know you've, some of you have more than that. So, but we are enjoying uh, little Hadassah and our family here. All right, I just want to get going into this. Isaiah 55, it's an invitation for all. Okay, Um, each of us, if I could kind of summarize Isaiah 55, I'd say this. Each of us are invited to everyone. Everyone is invited to an unlimited supply of feast, but only one satisfies. Only one feast satisfies. One of the big festivals that took place, or I should say didn't took place, was the Fire Festival. If you've ever heard of the Fire Festival, this was back in 2017. It's F-Y-R-E. It was a festival that was supposed to be the festival to end all festivals of of music. It was supposed to change the world, and all festivals were going to try to now be like this festival moving forward. It was back in 2017. Here's, here's what happened. Fire Festival was a failed, fraudulent marketing luxury music festival founded by Billy McFarland, CEO of Fire Media and rapper Ja Rule. It was created with the intent of promoting the company's Fire app for booking music talent. The festival was scheduled to take place on April 28th to 30th and May 5th to 7th of 2017 on Great Exuma Island in the Bahamas. The event was promoted on Instagram by social media influencers, including Kendall Jenner, Bella Haddad, uh, Hallie Baldwin, and Emily Ratajkowski. During the Fire Festival's inaugural weekend, though, the event experienced problems related to security, food, accommodation, medical services, and artist relations, resulting in the festival being postponed indefinitely and eventually canceled. One of the biggest problems is that people were already on the plane to the island of the Bahamas. So instead of a luxury villas and gourmet meals, when the guests arrived off the plane, the festival attendees paid hundreds of dollars for, they received prepackaged sandwiches and FEMA tents as their accommodation. You can actually go on Hulu and Netflix, and there are documentaries about these, this festival, um, and you can watch those there. The cost for the festival could range from anywhere from $120 to $500. There's even a VIP package of $12,000 for two weekends. Airplanes, when they'd come in, they landed to the island. They were actually branded with the fire logo uh, as planes would transport these guests to the island. I mean, this thing was supposed to be huge. So you can only imagine what it was like to be expecting a luxury dining and villas to live in for the weekend, but being delivered bologna mayonnaise sandwiches and a tent to sleep in. I can't help but see this as an example of the many invitations this world offers us. Invitations we pay for, and in the end, they never deliver. You see, every invitation from the world will overpromise and underdeliver. Sin gets us hyped up on what isn't actually true, causing us to ignore what is ultimately true. C.S. Lewis has a quote about this. 
It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, after Isaiah 53, where the suffering servant accomplishes the work of the cross and rises from the dead, Isaiah 54 lets us know that all is forgiven. That's what this work accomplished. All is forgiven for you. The tables are set and the feast is ready in Isaiah 54. How tragic it would be if those invited never showed up after all that Christ has done. This is where Isaiah 55 comes in because it is a strong invitation that everyone must come to this feast. Everyone. So what kind of feast are we invited to? Well, first off, it's an invitation for Cave Spring. And I, and I don't just mean the church, but the community. It's an invitation for coworkers. It's an invitation for neighbors. It is an invitation for all. And we see three defining characteristics of this invitation in chapter 55. So my first point, verses 1 to 5, this is an invitation to a plentiful feast. A plentiful feast. In fact, this feast is too good to be true, right? I mean, th we, this isn't something I can just theorize about or talk about. You have to get in on this feast. You have to taste it. You have to see it with your own eyes, taste it with your own mouth. It is too good to just talk about, especially if you're an Israelite, right? You're in captivity. You just want to be free. This, this is good news for you, right? Listen to this. Now, there is, however, a condition, and we see that in verse 1. So let's read verse 1 again. 55 verse 1 says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So what is the condition? Who comes to a feast like this? Verse 1 tells us it's the person who's thirsty. It's the one who's thirsty. Ray Ortland helps us understand this. He says, don't just sit there thinking about this, theorizing, hesitating, making excuses. Get up, come over here. I have rich spiritual privilege prepared for you. Buy in, though someone has already paid your bill. See, you see, in contrast, the one who does not come to this feast is the one who's not thirsty. The key word there, if you didn't catch it in verse 1, it's come. It's mentioned four times. Come, come, come. This same invitation is actually in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, at the very end of the Bible. Let's turn there. I want you to read this and see this. It's really, I think it's helpful to understand what Isaiah is getting at. These, these, this is the last words that God gives us, his final word right before Jesus returns. Okay, here's what Revelation twenty-two seventeen says. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take water, take the water of life without price. Without price. The message of Isaiah 55 is so close to the heart of God, it is his final word before Jesus Christ reappears. It is a message for every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's a message of coming. 
to the water. See, the person who does not come to this feast is the person who is not thirsty. I can't help but think of even the church in Revelation, one of the churches in Revelation in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14, it's the church of Laodicea. What does this angel say to the church in Laodicea, verse 15? I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, here's what they say, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Listen, you know what the angels say? You think you're rich and you think you're well off. You have everything together. You don't need anything else. He's saying you're not. You're poor. And if you want what I have, you're going to need something. You're going to need to come thirsty. You need to come because you recognize this. The biggest problem of this church is that they lost their influence in the community. They had no gospel power. Sure, they had lots of money, maybe influence and wealth, but no change. No change to the lives of those around them. So you see, the biggest hindrance to this invitation, it won't be traffic, right? It won't be getting lost. It won't be bad food. It won't be other people. The biggest hindrance to this invitation is self-sufficiency and self-dependency. This invitation is for anyone with spiritual need. Only thirsty people come to the living water. That's what John, or that's what Jesus said in John 7, 37. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So how do you buy? How how do you buy what you have no money for? (laughs) What's the answer? You come. You come. Your unbelief is what hinders you from being satisfied in Christ. It's a false belief that you can afford it. It's a false belief that says, I got this. I I know how to obtain what I need to obtain. I know how to be spiritual. I know how to play my Jesus card, if you will. I know the, the, the Sunday school answer. We think of, of salvation some, so one time, this one moment, that's it. But there's so much more to it. This is a false belief we have, that we can afford it. It's something we've done. And this, another false belief is that sin is better than Christ. We think that what this world does offer, whether it is a fire festival, we think that that's better, and we go back and forth. Well, Christ, we might even be saying Christ is really good, but man, so is my sin. So is my sin. I like that as well. So how do you buy what you have no money for? You come. You see, verse 1 is showing us that sin cannot satisfy us. Verse 2 shows us that sin reveals our foolishness. Sin reveals our foolishness. Look at this. Verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread (laughs) and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, why won't you run after better bread? He's switching. First verse talks about drinking and thirsting for it. And now he's saying, you're spending your time, resources, money on bread that does not satisfy. It's foolish. He's saying, why do this when endless vitality can be yours, but for some reason you still want a never-ending, always-empty desire for the world's bread? Jesus taught completely opposite of this, didn't he? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3. I remember my first experience um, bartering. Uh, we, we went on a missions trip to Guadalajara, Mexico. Uh, I was the ninth grader at the time. Was, we went with uh, Fuge Camps, M. Fuge, if you know what that is, and uh, went to Guadalajara. And when you go to, go, you know, one of the days you go sightseeing, right? And you go around, you check out the sites of Guadalajara, Mexico, and you want to, uh, you go sh- souvenir shopping. And I remember going to the markets, right? And the, when you go to the markets, there's these merchants, and every merchant, you know, thinks they have the best stuff. Right? And they're trying to get to your attention. They know you're a tourist. And they're like, hey, come check this out. I got the finest quality and I've got uh, uh, the best price around. And so being a you know, ninth grader at the time, I was like, man, I'm going to get the coolest thing ever. So I got this giant poncho, right? Like, like it, was, it was dead summer, right? Dead summer and this poncho for winter. I was like, I'm getting that. So I got this poncho and then I got a Mucha Lucha mask, right? One of those Mexican wrestlers mask. And I put that on and... And then I got a giant orange sombrero, like the ones you get at a Mexican restaurant where they come, they sing happy birthday to you, and they pat you on the head, if you've ever seen that. Like. And so me and my friends, we all like got it. We all got different colors or whatever, and we're like, man, we're going to wear this around Guadalajara. We'll be the coolest people around, you know? Nobody wears that in Guadalajara, okay? Like, nobody does. We found that out pretty quick. But these merchants, they, they, they want you to come. Come check out what I got. Come check out what I got. And I can't, I can't help but think that these first two verses, God seems to be this merchant, okay? He seems to be this merchant. He is, he is persistent, and he really wants you to come. The only difference is God offers his merchandise to the one who has no money. If those merchants knew I had no money, they would not be yelling. They'd be looking over your shoulder the next person coming if they knew you had no money. God looks at us and he says, hey, you've got no money, you're perfect, come on in. That's, that's who I'm looking for. You're thirsty, you need this. Yes, come, come, don't hesitate. Spiritually poor people can buy milk and wine with a price they can't afford because the product has already been paid. So what do you get with no money? A feast, you get a feast. <laughs> A satisfying feast this world cannot offer, offer awaits you. It's not leftovers or secondhand. We're, we're talking organic, grass-fed beef from local farmers, you know? I mean, this is the top of the line. So how will you taste this food? Well, verse 3 kind of helps us understand this. How, do, how are you going to taste this food? By eager listening to God's Word, because God's Word is life. John 6 John 6, 3, or John 6, 36 says this, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words from Jesus and his word are spirit and life. Listen, how are you gonna eat from this? You need to sit, you need to listen, you need to incline your ear. To incline is just, it just means to lean in this direction. There are so many things distracting us in this world, right? With our time, whether it's, whether it's Netflix, whether it's our, our social media, whether it's friends we need to catch up on. There are so many things. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad and just to throw them out. What I'm saying is let your ear lean into, let it depend mostly your life on the words of Jesus. Incline your ear that way. Let that be the most heaviest weight in your life and have the biggest impact. That's what the, that's what, Isaiah wants us to see. Incline your ear in his direction. 
Man, this sounds so good, right? If, if you do this, a satisfying feast the world cannot offer you. But God also gives us, in verse 3, an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now, this is, this is so good because this really kind of ties in so much of what's happening here. You see, God promised to David. Remember King David, right? This was before the fall, the second king of Israel. God promised to David that his family line would rule forever, okay? His dynasty would not fall. Now, this is important because the previous king, King Saul, had failed, right? So a common thought was, well, will David fall as well, right? Jonathan didn't take the throne after Saul. You know, is Solomon going to continue this on? Will what's going to happen after Solomon? Like, will David's line end? And so what does God do? He says, no, it won't end. God made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 where human error could not change the covenant. And in fact, if you think about it, human error was factored into the covenant. Because look at every king after David. Even David himself. They're really bad kings. I mean, like, David messed up big. Solomon messed up big. Th- then you got the north and the south kingdoms dividing, and, like, that's just a mess. That's, what, that's what's gotten Israel in the place it's in today, is human error. So the question in everyone's mind is, God, that covenant, where's that covenant at? Right? So Isaiah's saying, no, no, it's coming back. It's coming back. So how do we see that? The line of David. The son of God would come and be the heir of the Davidic throne and true king. No one king or one man can do it. It must be God alone. I hope you see what the prophet's laying down here for us because there's even greater significance here. The love God has for sinners, listen, this is why it's important for you and me. The love God has for sinners is the same love he has for the son. That's so good. He did not abandon his son. He will not abandon you. God's love for sinners, in fact, is guaranteed by his love for his son. That's a good word today. If you turn over to Acts 13, 34, it says it in the exact same way, just maybe a little stronger. Acts 13, verse 34 says this, And as for the fact, that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Acts. This is just just gospel continuing, going and keep going from the very beginning, Isaiah, all the way to Jesus, and now Paul, or sorry, the early church is confirming this message. This covenant does not just land on one nation, though. This is, this is good news, too, because it's not just one nation. It's not just Israel who gets to benefit the, and see the blessings of this covenant and this feast. It goes out to everyone. Let's read verses 4 and 5, going back to Isaiah 55. Verse 4, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now, if you notice the, ver- the word him in verse 4, that's speaking of David. Verse 4, the word him, David, and then the word you in verse 5 is David as well. Okay, so this is talking about King David here. Part of the purpose of the king of Israel was to point all other nations to the glory and majesty of God, right? Behold Israel, we read that this morning in our, our Bible study class, the Lord our God is one. 
Every other nation was supposed to, in this pluralistic society of gods, every nation was supposed to look at Israel and say, their gods got it. (laughs) And the king was supposed to be the leader of that, to proclaim that message out. Nations were to rally around David, but in reality what's happening is that only David's heir, Jesus Christ, is the one who's able to accomplish this. So it doesn't matter what nation you come from. We all rally around that, the cross. We all rally around Christ. What is it that draws these nations? It's the glory of God. <laughs> it's the glory of God. End of verse five. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Being, being on staff at a church previously and then working here, especially in a little bit of marketing, one of the common things that people say about churches is that what you catch them with in your marketing, you keep them with. That's why our goal here at Cape Springs is not to catch people with gimmicks or tricks or flashes of light and things that the world can offer. What we capture people with is the glory of God. It's the beauty of the gospel. What draws people into church is ultimate beauty revealed through the birth, teachings, miracles, humility, authority, sufferings, death, resurrection, and the reign of Jesus Christ. That's what gets them here, and I promise you that's what will keep them here. So, from these first couple verses, we see an awesome invitation to a feast that you don't have to pay for. It's got the best food. It's eternal, and it's for everyone. It's for everyone. This, this is the best news for all of us. Now, I want to continue, but to continue, I'm going to jump a little bit, and you'll see why in a bit, but it just might help. So, so where does this great satisfaction of life's greatest thirst come from? Let's jump down to verses 10 to 13, okay? So we're going to skip 6 and 9, and we'll come back. So if, if you're following me, the first point was we're invited to a plentiful feast. The second point is we're also invited. It's an invitation to a person invitation to a person. Let's look at this. Isaiah has come around full circle, right? From chapter 40, if you remember a few weeks ago, Charles Wilson was here, and he preached on chapter 40, where it declares that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. That was was Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 55, he he somewhat repeats himself, but there's a little little difference. Let's read that. Verse uh, 10 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, first Isaiah in 40, he reveals that we know God's promises will last forever, but they don't only last forever. They also give us life. They also give us life. His promises, his word are life. That's why Isaiah uses the metaphor of rain. As the rain comes down and waters the ground, and obviously in in this time period, rain would have been extremely important, but even more so for Israel. Think about this. If, if If you lived in Egypt, your main source of life came from the Nile. And if you lived in Mesopotamia, Babylon, Assyria, where they were, your main source of life would come from the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. But if you lived in Canaan, where was your main source? The Jordan River wasn't big enough to do this. They had to rely on the rain for their harvest and for their fields and for their growth. 
So Isaiah uses this rain metaphor to let us know that life comes from beyond us. We can't control it, we receive it. I was at a a 50-year wedding anniversary of of, of a friend of mine yesterday, and they were calling for for rain. I mean, like, the whole day. Like, one thing I've learned about being in Roanoke is that it's just, the weather channel is just as untrustworthy as it is in North Carolina. Like, nobody knows what's going on. We have all these modern inventions. We have no idea what's going to happen with the weather. And we do for some extent, but, like, we we say one thing, and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Listen, this is, God says, listen, my life to you from me comes from me. <laughs> you can't get it anywhere else. You're not going to get it from the Tigris and the Nile and the Euphrates. You know what this means? This means we can't look at a horoscope and find our purpose. We can't look at the stars, maybe even our Enneagram to figure out who we are. We cannot accumulate enough success to reach the top. One of the big things, and I've fallen for this a little bit, I've tried. We can't be minimal enough in our life to find zen. We can't train our bodies hard enough to be fit enough to find satisfaction. This satisfaction comes from the person Jesus Christ. This gospel message is huge, huge. And that's exactly what verses 12 to 13 reveal to us. For you shall go out, verse 12, out in joy and be led forth in peace. Then the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God is making all things new through Jesus Christ. And when the mountains and the trees hear and see of the gospel and the return of Jesus, they just rejoice. The trees start clapping. You know why we can clap in church? Because the trees are clapping. When they hear the gospel message, they're like, yeah, that's it. That's what we're talking about. The mountains, if we don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out. Earth is groaning, Romans says. But when it sees Christ, it breaks out in joyful praise. If we don't, creation does. Verse 13 shows the curse being reversed, right? It shows this, if you look at it, so it's so much tied to Eden, this idea of the thorn. Instead of a thorn, a cypress. Instead of a briar, a, a myrtle. Sin is, is going backwards. What you and I caused in sin, Christ turns around. Pete used this illustration a while ago, but it's so great. If you remember the story of, of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, when Aslan is, is, after he was sacrificed on the altar there, they ask the question, like, how did this happen? How did you, did you rise? And Aslan says, if, if the witch who, who sacrificed Aslan, if, if the witch would have looked back a little further, she would have seen that when someone lays down their life sacrificially who does not deserve it, it causes time to go backwards. I love that line. It causes time to go into reverse. Is, this is the exact same thing that Romans 5.18 says. If you want to turn to Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification in life for all men. Through one man, sin came into the world, but through one man, sin is abolished. It's conquered. And it's for all men and women. Got to say that now. All men and women. 
Everyone, no matter the nation, no matter where you're at, everyone has this. So listen, it's an invitation to a plentiful feast. It's an invitation to a person. Let me close with this, my last point. Verses six to nine. It's an invitation of presence. An invitation of presence. So if you're following me there, the three Ps to kind of help you out, that's what they teach you in Bible college and as you study to prepare sermons. Plentiful feast, uh, the person of Jesus, and then a presence. So far we have an invitation to come and anyone can come, but you must come on God's terms. This is what six and seven declare. What are these terms? Well, verse six and seven says it's to repent. It's not a very popular word today. Sometimes that word can even be considered hateful and evil to tell someone to repent. Verse six, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that, I may have compassion, that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You must repent now and you must repent completely. That's what this verse says. Now and completely. There's not a moment to waste. You can't just give half-hearted repentance. Listen, there's a time, by, by, by contrast, this verse tells us there's a time when God can't be found. There's a time when God can't be found. There's also a time when God isn't near. Now, that's a scary thought. In fact, from an early childhood age, we've learned that right, God is omnipresence. What, what do you mean, Zach? Isn't God everywhere? What, what do you mean God's not present or God's not near? You, to be honest, I, I don't know, but I don't want to know, and neither do you. And I think that's the point. You don't want to be in a position where you can't know God's near. You can't know his presence is near you. Listen, your sins, yours and I, our sins won't be judged based upon what party we voted for, where we grew up, or even how many good deeds we have done. Isaiah ties repentance back to verse three. Well, how do we fight sin? We incline our ear in his direction. We let his words be the strongest pool in our life. Not that we can't have other pools in our life, but let the word of God be the strongest pool in your life, no matter where you're at. Jerry Bridges reminds us, he says, it is hypocritical to pray victory over your sins, yet be careless in our intake of the word of God. Don't pray for sins to be forgiven if your intake of God's word is abysmal. To repent and seek the Lord is to stop twiddling our thumbs and become intentional about him, setting our highest value on him. We can't just tweak a little bit of our life here and there. We can't tolerate sin. We can't just join a church and poof, our Jesus card is legit. Doesn't work like that. Being nice, harmless, church-going people, right, with no repentance, no submission, no forsaking of self, and no pursuit of Christ, but to say all that is covered over with a glaze of sentimental religion, that's not what God has for us. We don't come to church just to get our quick fix and leave. Listen, we have drifted from the gospel, and we don't have forever to get back. Everybody in this community needs to know that. You today need to know that. We don't have forever to get back. Now, I've mentioned before that I'm, I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, if you guys know where Winston-Salem is. Uh, I love that city. I've uh, been there since about fourth grade, and then we, we moved here, so much, almost all my life I can remember being there. If you didn't know this about Winston-Salem, it's where Krispy Kreme started. 
Um, in fact, in fact, if you go on Stratford Road in Winston-Salem, it's on the west side of Winston-Salem, you will actually see the original uh, first standalone shop of Krispy Kreme. And they don't modernize it. They kind of keep it the exact same. It's got these old white tiles. Um, the drive through window is like super tiny. You can only get like one box of donuts out at a time. So if you go get a lot of donuts, you're like, okay, thank you, okay, thank you. And you just kind of go back and forth until you finally got all your donuts. You know what Isaiah's telling us? Isaiah's telling us that the hot now sign's on. When that hot now sign's on, a hot now sign on is, is on, what do you do, right? It's almost like the car has a mind of its own. Like, you don't even know what's happening. You're just all of a sudden, oh my goodness, what, how, how did I turn into here? How am I in the drive-thru? When that hot now sign on, man, you go. You go, you don't wait. If you go to the grocery store and you come back, it's too late. You missed it, right? This is what Isaiah wants everybody to know. There is a, listen, There is a time when the Lord can't be found, when he is not near to you and to others. I I can't tell you how that happens or what you've done to get there, but Isaiah declares that now is that time to repent. Now is that time to do something. Why repent? Why should we repent? Because my ways aren't your ways. That's what he's doing. He's tying verse seven to verse nine. Why to repent? My th- or verse 8, sorry, verse 7 and 8. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. That's why the wicked need to forsake his way. That's why the unrighteous man needs to forsake his thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. The gap is so wide between you and me, God is saying. You don't see the change that's needed in your life, but that doesn't matter because what matters is what God sees. What matters is what God sees. This is a really crucial idea, I think, in, our t- in today's culture, um, an invitation to a plentiful feast, an invitation to a person, and an invitation, of, an invitation of presence. If, if you haven't heard the, what a, has anybody ever heard of a deconstruction story? These are actually getting quite popular nowadays, if, especially if you're on YouTube. Um, mainstream media news outlets have picked some of these up. Even TED Talks, if you guys know what TED Talks are. The, a deconstruction story is where someone walks, walks you through or somebody else through the stages or the moments that led them away from their Christian faith. And these things are on YouTube, so people will literally give their testimony and just say, this is where I was. Most of it, a lot of it has to do with youth groups sometimes. I used to be a student pastor, so this like haunts me. But uh, a lot of like, in youth group I was doing this, and then I went to college, and it's usually how the story goes, a lot of them. Some of, some, some of my favorite YouTubers, Rhett and Link, if you guys know who Rhett and Link are. Um, Good Mythical Morning, all right? If you don't know, don't worry about it. But they're YouTubers, and they actually had one of these deconstruction stores. They grew up in North Carolina. I think they went to Campbell University, if I'm correct. And then um, they started YouTube, and they're like one of the first YouTubers. They got huge. And then just two years ago, they came out, and they said, we're walking away from Christianity. Uh, articles like uh, the Gospel Coalition, they picked it up, and they wrote an article about it. Ray Comfort from Living Waters did something on YouTube about it. People were responding, and there were people going back and forth about, like, you know, why did this person do this? What was their deconstruction story? I, and I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not sure all the details, or I'm not even here to make a judgment about the stories that people were telling of why they walked away from their faith. I would like to know what gospel they were preaching to themselves, though. 
prior to walking away from their faith. If, if you have, this just, this, I saw it was at that, um, I was at that wedding uh, vow renewal, 50-year vow renewal yesterday, and uh, he was, the guy that I was at, he was actually my mentor back in North Carolina, just, we prayed, like, got, got together weekly and stuff, and he literally told me, he said, man, pray, pray for my granddaughter. She grew up a Christian, she's walked away from the faith. You might not, you might have a grandkid or a kid right now, and you might be saying, they haven't done a deconstruction story, but they're doing that exact same thing. And I don't know if I have all the answers for that, but I, but I do know that Isaiah declares that his word will not return void. And that you can't stop praying, you can't stop telling, and you can't stop reminding them of the goodness of God. And that there's a feast to be had. There's a feast to be had. And that the only thing that's going to satisfy them in this life is Jesus Christ. But the daunting words are, it's not forever. It's not forever. So, I open with the story of the fire Festival and the, the rapper Ja Rule, so I think it's fitting that I close with rapper DMX. If you don't know anything about DMX, he was a rapper, 50 years old, he passed away this week. I honestly don't know much about him. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard one of his songs. I only heard this because actually Charles Wilson posted this on Facebook. He, he posted a quote from DMX, and he, here's what DMX was quoted saying. He said, Jesus is the only one to trust for your salvation. End quote. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know much about DMX, and I cannot vouch for him. But in that statement, I know he's right. I know he's right. So maybe, maybe instead of closing with that, I should close with Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one is coming to the Father but through me. Listen, if, if, you've, if you're a Christian here today, right, and you're like, You're like saying like, yeah, Zach, I hear you. I've heard this a lot. Listen, stop standing on the sidelines. Being unintentional about your sin and making excuses. Incline your ear his way. Don't theorize or hesitate. Get up, come over here, buy in. Someone's already paid the price. This is for me, this is for you, this is for everyone in Cape Spring. Church, let's get busy. We don't have time to wait till next Easter or serve Roanoke Week to meet people where they're at. We gotta meet them right now. Right now, let's pray. Father, we are mindful of your presence. Father, I'm thankful for your word. It's challenge into our lives. Father, give us boldness as Paul asked for. Give us clarity. Father, may the gospel, as Alan prayed earlier, may the gospel just light up in someone's life when they hear Father, may we be faithful to your word and faithful to your son. Father, even through our failures, you can do much. So we ask that in your son's name. Amen.